0: Welcome back to Foundations in International Political Economy. Foundations in IPE is a showcase of interviews with foundational figures in the discipline of international or global political economy. The project is led by Dr Stuart Shields from the University of Manchester and myself, Professor Alex Nunn from the University of Derby. You can find out more by visiting our website www.ipefoundations.org.uk where there are videos of the interviews and more information about the project. We're grateful for the support of the British Academy and the Leverhulme Trust. Video production was by Sam Jordan Films. Dr Sophia Price from Leeds Beckett University helped with the recording of the interviews. And Music is Awakening by Waterboy, which is available on Pixabit. In this episode, we interview Professor Robbie Shilliam, who is Professor of International Relations in the Department of Political Science at Johns Hopkins University. His research on colonialism and race in world politics has had a profound influence on thinking in and beyond IPE. He co-founded the colonial, post-colonial, decolonial working group of the British International Studies Association and is a member of the global development section of the International Studies Association. He co-edits a book series for Roman and Littlefield and is editor-in-chief of the new journal International Politics Reviews. His current research is focused on a re-reading of classical political economy through its intimate relationship to Atlantic slavery, retrieving Ethiopianism as a critical orientation towards global order, and South-South anti-colonial connections between peoples of the African diaspora and indigenous movements. He's written and edited numerous articles and books, including Race and the Undeserving Poor and The Black Pacific, Anti-Colonial Struggles and Oceanic Connections. We interviewed Robbie in june 2020
1: well i mean there's two things about ipe right the, the first one is i would say that ipe is is kind of well tasked to inquire into the um colonial induced and um racialized accumulation of capital right um and that that to me is what IPE um, is best tasked to do. And also it actually is is consonant with its intellectual history, actually. Um, But at the same time, um, IPE rarely does that. Um, So I would rarely consider myself to be, you know, part of IPE, if that makes sense, yeah? I mean, I think it's, I think, I think also, and I mean, maybe we can talk about this a bit later as well, because I have a very sketchy (laughs) kind of idea in my head, which, you know, when when it hits the ground, we'll probably end up (laughs) unraveling as as things usually do. But I think that there's something quite important in the history, the intellectual history of IPE, not back to the classical thing, 18th century stuff, not even that, but much more recently in the, in the seventies where I would imagine if you're doing a thing called IPE in the in the in the in the in the fifties to seventies, it would be impossible to do it without talking about imperialism, right? Neo imperialism, all that kind of stuff. And that with the with the so called neoliberal turn, there's something that happens in the field. And I think and it'd be interesting to track the degree to which you know western ipe was influenced by maoism even right which is another topic but basically i have a sense that there's something about the neoliberal turn which basically puts an end to the idea that one would have to look to the third world for the salvation of, of the first world which is what a lot of the, you know the european maoists were all about right and that uh, it re-centers a very particular image of the Western world and a very particular um, set of mechanisms and institutions which are all about financialization, right? And that financialization and neoliberalism then become the centerpiece, the center ground for IPE, right? And that kind of almost like re-Westernizes IPE. And then imperialism, neo-imperial colonial legacies, which of course is where all the... You know the debt crisis actually gets experimented on and played out, becomes subsidiary to a kind of re westernized center of the world style narrative. you know where does financialization happen? this is where these are the actors blah blah blah. Do you know what I mean and in that move, there's something important where where race colonialism, neo-imperialism, the globality of IPE actually becomes attenuated, right? And I think right now, at least since 2016, but, but, but obviously always before as well, there's, there's a, that that recentering in the West in epistemic terms as much as empirical terms is, is now starting to unravel as well, right? So I think there's something to do with the intellectual history of ipe where which makes me think sometimes that i'm part of ipe and then other times i'm, I'm just just not
0: <laughs> yeah sure sure i mean and given given that comment what motivated you in the first place to because you, you have explicitly engaged with ip communities so what what motivated that given you kind of Awkwardness or or discomfort with it.
1: Well, I mean, I guess it's it's you know academically or not academically, right? So like, you know, I went to university kind of late, so I went in my late twenties basically. Um, And before that, I did a a number of things, Um, but I used to be in sound systems and stuff. So a lot of the, the the terms and the substance of what you could IPE um is you know that's that's really articulated in a lot of reggae and also a bit of hip-hop as well right so that you know if you're talking about a a deeper level that's kind of you know my introduction to IPE academically I went to University of Sussex um and I did a degree in IR and and development studies so I had a kind of combination of you know development studies when I was there was, was still in, you know, bathed in the illumination of a, a set of post-colonial scholars, mainly literature people like Homi Bhabha had been there. You know, he, he wasn't there when I was there, but there was still the kind of afterglow of it, right? So there was that kind of post-colonial bent in a lot of the development studies that I did, um, which was linked in with the um, very Marxist IR department um um so you, you know i was taught by people like julian uh, Sorin, joe uh justin rosenberg um, john mclean all kind of critical theorists uh beata Young, who does you know famous for a liberal internationalist stuff um and and then there was an ipe strand of people in the masters and in the phds which was basically being run by um case van der peel and ronan palan you know they had right there at the time so i had colleagues like doing my phd like john and montgomery who were you know proper ipe ipe you know what i mean and then i was kind of like on the side of that the more kind of woolly uh, <laughs> you know a lot more kind of intellectual history political theory you know that kind of stuff right
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, yeah. It seems just hard to me, not worry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know, like I, I never figured out inflation. Basically, so I'm not, <laughs> you, you get what I mean. That kind of thing, right? You know. Um. So, so I guess that's where, where I, I came up academically, right? And as well, probably there was much more of a kind of ideas focus in the Marxist people as well you know, outside of the more strictly IPE people, you know, it was a lot more Gramsci, right, um, a lot more kind of Trotsky, so ideas, you know, broader and bigger ideas about development, you know, what what development means, all that kind of stuff. You know, you said you
0: were, you were late to go to
1: university. I mean, do you want to
0: say anything about, you know, why, why you chose to do that at that particular time? And you know, what, what kind of motivated you in that way that, that kind of human story is often kind of interesting.
1: I, I, I had a music studio and this was before, you know, you could buy a $500 Apple computer and get everything on that. So like, you know, to get a good music studio it would cost you about 50 grand. Right. So I had a, pretty rubbish one and I wanted to raise some money to do to get a studio so I had done some computer programming way back in the day so I went to um, a community college kind of polytech right to do a computer language course so that I could so I would do that for a year, and then afterwards, so after that, I would then the plan was work for a year or two as a computer programmer, save up the money, then ditch the computer programming and get my studio right. So I did the computer programming course for about a year, and then the last module was a basically, a, a, you know, a kind of yet to go and do a job placement thing. So I did a job placement, and then the first day I realized why it was that I gave up computer programming before that right i just couldn't stand it so i ditched it but then i'd always wanted to go to university because I, I, I remember buying my first academic book the day after i dropped out of school so then i thought well i'm kind of now in the classroom so i do let me let me try and do a degree right so they called it access courses back then like a substitute for a level i don't face still do it right so then i looked so i did that and then i looked at the brochures and then there was like, i was going to do history and then University of Sussex because I was lazy and it was my hometown. Do you know what I mean? Like it was Brighton. So I um, saw a picture for of the General Assembly in the UN. You know, they reeled me in, man. They reeled me in. I thought oh, I'd be, I could be a diplomat. So, then of course, after a year, I realised that no, if you want to be a diplomat, you've got to go to Oxford, and and you and you've you've got to have, you know, it's a caste system, man. You know, like you've got to actually belong to certain families, right? And then you learn Greek. that out so
0: we can sell our degrees still. <laughs>
1: exactly right so you know anyway I fell for it and then I thought well I kind of like reading and writing and talking so I'll just stay around so there was nothing it was all very prosaic, Alex it wasn't there was no master plan man what
0: do you think of so you have engaged with IP so what what do you think of as your contribution to
1: IP you know I've been chipping away at trying to reevaluate and reinterpret the classical tradition and to say that if you think about the classical tradition um it's especially and mainly the the late 18th century the scots um and and then bleeding into marx right um if you situate them vis-a-vis the whole colonial enterprise and especially um, slavery and the abolition movement, you get a very different sense of the basis from which classical political economy proceeds. Um, And that is almost counterintuitive. Um, That, for example, um, the big thing that taxed a lot of the classical political economists and is there even in Engels and Marx is... Um, not necessarily about the wage contract, not about all the kind of the so-called modern things that we think capitalism, um, it, it, you know, brings into the world, but is much more about things to do with servitude, service, patriarchy, um, and the limits of 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 freedom, right? And it's much less about contract, individual rights, um, anarchy you know disembedded individuals circulating around the market system um and that to me has a bearing on the present to the extent that um while i would not want to say that capitalism didn't foster anything unique into the world um the narratives we have which um basically conflate that so-called uniqueness with the actual you know world order are, are extremely dangerous you know the, the fact that servitude is the prevailing condition of labor all around the world you know gives us pause right to think about what 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 we think is unique about capital and and whether we're actually missing the whole history and politics of it if we think about it like that, you know I have a particular idea that there's a a certain Hegelian strand in Marxism which lays the capital relation as something very abstract and distinct and 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 that there are other elements in Marx which kind of compete against that, and that we miss those other elements right so if we looked at today um, you, you know if you think about dispossession you think about more oppression and exploitation in the in the you know in the technical sense of the term for, for labor then then you know it behoves us to actually rethink the classical tradition to see why it is that our um analytical frameworks can explain some stuff but can actually entirely miss or make derivative the real the real politics and the lived experience of of, of, of capital for most people around the world that, of course, is not something new. <laughs> I mean, you know, from, from Lenin onwards, that's been a, a, a live area of debate and controversy in IPE, but I think we can push it deeper as well.
0: But, but what is kind of new to what, what you, you've done is to very clearly articulate the way in which race categorizations, separation and segregation and, uh, and slavery and so on and coloniality are not just kind of historical things, but are foundational to the structure of the international political economy as a, as a kind of a material thing or an ideational thing to study.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, uh, and, and, you know, there's a whole load of ideological and um, intellectual stakes at play and political stakes at play in this thing, you know, race and class and all that. And, and these kind of things need to be debated very carefully, right? You know what I mean? And with with some kind of good faith, right? Um, um, but for me, what I find astounding is the way in which actually race is classification, right? And, and I understand that there are particular technical concepts of class which do particular kind of analytical work. And I don't want to dismiss those or waylay those. But if we're talking about the generation of a concept um, historically and the work that it does historically, then for me, class is about classification, which is actually about race, right? And, and um, it's impossible to understand the division of labor without understanding it as classification and race, classi- race as being a thing which classifies. And of course, race is, is not what we think of it to be in terms of just um, racism um you know in the book i did recently i, I was co- trying to show that um um p- p- poor peoples in england even even in southern england you know are, are 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 classified according to 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 racial racialized categories which give which give them more or less welfare more or less rights more uh, you, you see what i mean so um classification to me is really really important um and you can't classify without doing race and i think that's a fundamental thing that we have to really think about without without you know while acknowledging that there's a particular particular technical technical um proclivity to the class as it is in the literature which does particular analytical work and i don't want to waylay that right but i just want to work at a deeper kind of level basically
0: i'm struck by all sorts of things you you've just said and and things i've heard you say um before i mean w- one of them I, I i'm not sure which one to pick up first but i mean one of them is where you really where you started is that i'm always struck by uh, you know you you kind of stress this this issue of good faith and generosity or you know a, a, about the nature of uh, of academic debate and that really seems to kind of motivate what what you, your kind of agenda
1: I mean, I did a podcast recently on this whole securitization, and and it's a very complicated issue, right? Um, One of the things that I was trying to get across, which I, well, you know, when you write something, it it takes on its own life, and you you can't control how it's interpreted, right? Anyway, so one of the points I was putting across was to try and introduce a kind of um, a more broader awareness about the, the coordinates of this black radical tradition that i was talking about right and one of the coordinates was generosity generosity a political and an intellectual generosity the point i was trying to make was that the generosity was a curse in other words it's not it's not a you know a higher state of morality or anything like that it's literally to do and, and it's a more general position which is that those who are those who are the more subordinated you are the more generous you have to be structurally with your argumentation and with your politics. It's not a, there's nothing moral about it. You have to know your side, you have to know their side. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, you, 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 you have to know more, right? Sim, you know, and, 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 and one of the disarming things about being in a position of superiority, right? And you know, you can go back to Hegel who kind of plays around with this as well is that the more, the the greater the position of superiority that you occupy, the more attenuated your worldview and your politics necessarily is, right? And that's a structural imposition, right? So, you know, the slave knows the slave and the master. The master only knows the master or thinks he knows the master, right? That's, That's the whole point, yeah? So, um so i think um what and again this is nothing about essence and it's nothing about how you know um you 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 will be for here and forever more it's about coming to terms with the kind of terrain upon which you're plotted when you do this kind of work right so you know this black radical tradition or t- the traditions you know they are um extremely um, um what's the word um mutable expansive um relate relatable relational with what they with what they work with um and and my problem with a lot of um ipe stuff is that it is not the same right and again this is not to do with people it's not an ad hominem thing it's it's a structural issue and that comes back to what i was saying about this funny thing which i think happened where the lens got you know keenly turned back upon the, the west as the the site of capital you know um linked to particular narratives about what is specific and unique about capital which all get kind of a, uh, uh which all get kind of um what's the word there's a, there's a psychoanalytical term for it con condensed up, upon financialization do you see what i mean I, I, and, and this has a really big pernicious effect, right? Um, so I think that's kind of the things that I would say about that that thing about generosity. It, it's something which is structural and it's not moral. It's not ad hominem either.
0: No, no, sure. And and given where you just ended up there, I mean, given that Critical IP did do that kind of turning away, kind of, pro, you know, Went through that kind of process. Would you say those kind of silences? I mean, where, where does that leave it as a as a discipline with merit or potential to kind of tackle some of the issues that you're, uh, you know, you, you're kind of. Yeah.
1: Oh I, no! I mean, it always does. I mean, you know, if you think, I mean, the um, I, I always give students. I don't know if you guys ever come across this Midnight Notes Collective, um, and they were writing in the kind of late um 19 i think it was late 1970s and then the 80s there's people like peter line bauer and george kefensis and um i think also um silva uh, silvia federici right uh massimo de angelis you know a lot of people who did stuff on primitive accumulation later right and um and they 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 had a um a little easy, well, journal back then, right? Um, And they they did this one whole kind of journal issue. I think it was 1990, 1989, on the new enclosures, right? And, yeah, and, and, you know, it's very clear. Where were the new enclosures happening? They're happening on the African continent. They're happening in the so-called third world, right? So everything that becomes wrapped up in financialization, you know what I mean? You have people, you have political economists actually, keeping a global optic on this linking it to the legacies of imperialism colonialism race all that kind of stuff and 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 you know my my colleague John Narayan at King's College has shown how even people like Huey Newton and and you know uh, the Panthers were invested in this in a, in a political economy of, of of empire right so there are always these these parts of the tradition which are retrievable and which you can bring back and remix into the present right um so nothing everything is salvageable you, you, you get what i'm saying that it, um there are always these you know parts and traditions which get submerged at particular points in time but you know if you read them, midnight notes man honestly and of course you know now that's that and there's a whole big politics you know that they, they were linked to the drop the debt stuff the jubilee campaigns where are we now we're talking about reparation we're talking about defunding the police was you see what i mean so the kind of ethics of the thing has has remained underneath as well right and now it's kind of you know back in focus again
0: that, that's really interesting too so you know like when you look at the kind of jumping off point for critical ip lot and, and a lot of the interviews we've done right and there's mm. been a really strong sense of people as researchers, but also as activists and, and, right. so, um, and when I read your work, you know, that kind of normative commitment is always pretty, <laughs> pretty on mm. the surface. Right. But in lots of work and for all sorts of reasons about professionalism, you know, that kind of recedes from lots of other people's work, you know? So I, I wondered if you wanted to say anything about a kind of in defense of the normative project, you know, in, in your work and why, and why you, mm. you, relative to other people, make it so explicit?
1: I mean, I think I'd, I could probably say two things about that, right? First, when you look at the the, the IPE tradition itself, right? Um, and I'm not just talking about the Scots, you know, where, where it was all about moral philosophy, right? I mean, that's, it was about, it was about, can you, I mean, Adam Smith is all about, can virtue... Um, can can virtue survive in 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 commercial society? I mean, I mean, in a word, that's Smith, right? Uh, but also, when you look at all the all the the I, you know, the Walter Rodney's, the C.L.R. James, um, even the Sylvia Winters, you know, all of this is about. It is necessarily a normative commitment because it's about redress, repair. You, you get you get what I mean. So um, so so to me that's just being true to the to the tradition right the other thing though i think is is slightly a little bit more to do with um uh, 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 the craft of of being an intellectual and especially being an academic specifically right which is that there are there are you know what i've come to realize is there are, there are certain fora which require certain registers of argumentation right and uh, uh, and so journal articles are quite um unforgiving in the the especially now with the professionalization of of academia they're quite unforgiving in terms of what kind of languages you can use what registers you can use you know if you're going to do a normative thing then you have to do you know proper like analytical philosophy for example etc etc right so journal articles you know you will bash your head against the wall if you wanted to if you wanted to you know have a manifesto or a, you, you get what i'm saying um, now, books are different, book chapters are different, blogs, interviews, reports, all, and crucially, all the unwritten right, and unreported work that you might do, not even in academia, right? So there are a whole set of registers where, you know, where the academics or uh, intellectuals who are craftspeople who work in academia They can avail themselves of and the normative there is distributed in different ways across all those different registers. Do you see what I mean? So in actual fact you know I can imagine some people who you would never think are normative in their journal articles but they might be doing all this work behind the scenes which is entirely normative and that and that's where they do it right. So I I think you know one of my pet kind of peeves is when people go "Ah, but we as academics is like there is no we as academics right and half the time that well you know we it is an excuse not to not to be more creative and to do other things although i know people have time constraints don't get me wrong right but but i'm just saying you know if the human condition is one of multi multilingualism i mean that's that's not just empirically the case most people speak more than one language unless unless english is your first language that's the big exception right but but aside from that you know, humanity is, is programmed to, to be multilingual and multilingual meaning even in the same language, different registers of communication, right? We do it when we do lectures or when we do seminars, right? We do, we, 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 we do different registers. So there's no reason why academics can't work on different registers to better distribute the normative commitments.
0: One of the things about your normative register that is a bit is is different though st- still is the kind of a, a reference to spirituality or um, deeper ways of thinking and so on. Is there anything you'd like to say about that, those kind of choices and so on?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, so I think there's a whole set of things there, right? There's one, there's, there's one level where you can take it to kind of martial silence, direction which is to say that you know political economy is a cosmology uh, right you know um and ideas about abundance ideas about scarcity are deeply theological right um and and i think that's right and i think that's important to work with um another way to 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 look at it is to think about the the ways in which what I would call colonial sci- science, sets up a set of analytical segregations, which which um, are are constitutive of doing violence to, to people and places in the world, right? And those categorical sub- segregations, you know, we, we, we work through a lot of them in IPE, things like nature versus society, right? The individual versus community right uh e- even the um economy versus versus society right um, but there are much deeper um segregations which happen which which then rule out or 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 make certain peoples and and traditions and practices um, either hieroglyphs which can't be translated or as just uh unusable unusable right so you know it's very difficult not to see i p e ensconced within this big segregation which happens in the mid to late eighteenth and nineteenth century which segregates um two things and makes it the the spiritual and the profane right um and and or or I could put it a bit more accurately makes it the natural and the supernatural right now now, the supernatural is a stupid idea. I mean, even on in, in and of itself, it's utterly contradictory. You know, if everything is nature and there's something super to nature that doesn't make sense, right? But then you can dismiss these things as supernatural, right? So, you know, some work I did recently on 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 voodoo and Haitian Revolution is all about that. It's all supernatural, right? So what we can do is we can explain it profanely, you know, labor, land, you know, exploitation, capital accumulation, which is all important, right? But we can't explain the revolution in terms in which the people themselves proceeded with it because that's supernatural. Now, when you actually look at a lot of um, um, the traditions of thought and practice, which people were involved in in a lot of these these rebellions and revolutions, um, it's actually extremely um, political economy Right. But the point is, is that the, 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 the segregation between the supernatural and the natural does not exist. Right. So that might be difficult for us to get our heads around, because then we'll say, oh, so what I'll do is I pass it all through what I know is the natural. But no, that's actually not the case. Right. You see what I mean? There's a reason why, for example, most of the insurrections against the plantation economy did not start on the plantation. They started in the hills and in the woods. You see what I'm saying? That would be equivalent to saying, and of course, this is what happens now, that insurrections against capi- cap- capital don't start in the factories or the workplace. They start in the neighborhoods, in the homes, on the streets. You see what I'm saying? Right. So, so those to me, that to me is the stakes at play in these kind of distinctions. Now, um, I'm not, um, it's nothing to do about belief or conversion. Right, it's to do with what kind of thinking is adequate to the task,
0: and can be adequate to a political task as well, right? so right. Yeah, yeah. The moral thing you were saying about the kind of generosity and all that, and and the kind of deep relation that's in the the Black Pacific book. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I was struck by that as a as a as a kind of idea. I mean, I, I suppose it's the normative point about what, what work does that deep relation do. in a a kind
1: of a normative uh sense what it does is it it raises the possibility that um if there is if power imposes right um the response to that to that imposition is not owed to the power in other words there is a particular way of understanding dialectics which is very colonial right so one could say for example um um slavery was imposed right um but french also talked about liberty equality fraternity um so then the response owed to the imposition because then you know that the, the 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 haitian revolution for example you know it was following what the french did so you know the haitians were more were better at being french than the french and there's a certain bit of that in clr james the very title of the book black Jacobins, you know, which he later kind of thinks again about but you know, black is the adjective, which just, which just modifies the noun, which is French, right. Um, but I think uh, we've I mean, we could go into much more depth about the kind of cosmology and philosophy about things like deep relations. But the point is, is that there is always a, a, um, a, 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 a weaving of the uh, kind of scheme of the universe, which is never broken, but is um, gathered up and rearranged by power, right, but it's never broken. And so the response to power is not owed simply to that clustering up, gathering, tensing, or that kind of stuff, but, but the response is, was already there, right? the the, the, the matter and the material for the response it's not created by the imposition even if it responds to the imposition you see what I'm saying now that that kind of might sound quite (laughs) you know like hippie right but it has immense importance in terms of how we think about you know why do people take the shit that they take where does newness come from where does revolution come from where does resistance come from where does accommodation come from where does creative survival come from why is it that it's not how we think it is? So, I mean, one of the things, like this one I did, I did recently, is about saying that there are these things called provision grounds, where in, in the in the plantations, where the response the response to, to a, a, oppression and you know accumulation and excision of people and blood and goods and all that kind of stuff, um, it, it doesn't happen on the on the field of the plantation the alternative is developing already under slavery in these provision grounds, right? So that we can't think about what comes after slavery, you know, as, as freedom, right? Um, or even as a new imposition. But there is something already at stake differently within slavery itself, right? Now, one might think even about class struggle in general. You can think about, like, you know, on my dad's side, my granddad, You know, they were colliery miners from Colville, right? They, um, you know, they had their brass bands. You get what I'm saying? They had their their certain traditions, which, on the one hand, you could see is very reformist, very paternalistic, very accommodationist. But on the other hand, we're all about actually um, building a slightly different sense of community yeah to to that which would have to that which was being offered to them to do work which killed you now when the mines get shut down you know to my mind it's not actually the shutting downs in the mine which is the first crime the biggest crime the biggest crime is the evisceration of those those built up um matter of community which has taken so long to try and to try and get back do you see what I mean? Now, if you had a particular understanding of power and imposition, right, you would think you would miss that entirely.
0: So, what, what, what is your current, what, what's in your current next project, and what, what, what are you working on now?
1: It's going to be something to do with um, um, blackness and bio, 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 you, you know, from from the, the Greek for life, right? Um, and it's it's going to range across a set of different bios biography bioethics bioscience um and it's going to retrieve um uh the a contribution to to preserving and extending life um which comes from the from the black radical tradition which is 95 percent of it which is not academic or written I mean there's a number of reasons for doing it but 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 one of the things kind of academically is because um what I find disturbing is that um but not unsurprising and again, it's a structural thing it's not an it's not it's not a kind of individualized or moral thing, but that academia tends to capitalize on 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 black death um and it tends to capitalize on it even when it's critiquing it. Um, and there is very little in academia which is about black life, right? Um, and the more you look at it, the more you see that. Um, certain traditions, in, 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 you know, coming out of black thought become capitalized and mainstreamed in the academy faster than others and more generically than others. And those those things which that happens to are almost always predicated upon death right which is not to say that it's not important to theorize death right you know what i'm saying that that's absolutely not the case but those parts are extricated from the rest of the the rest of the kind of universe of it right but basically they come to represent everything and then everybody has a currency in them so you can be critical talk about black death but it's a black it's it's as if all that all that is associated with blackness is death you see what i'm saying so you know i'm coming out of you know rastafari tradition which is about life life even in the face of death yeah right um and um there there is something which is more edifying to the human condition in general about retrieving and thinking about that 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 um prescription right and that commitment than simply about death
0: how how did you i mean because you've just gone through a kind of a personal transition not just having a baby (laughs) but moving to america and and so on how how's that affected or is that affected by your research agenda or how how has your research agenda been affected by that
1: well i would hope that it has and will affect it um so this to be like the third continent I've taught on, and each each one has has hopefully I would have hoped has impacted me. Otherwise, I'd just be like sitting in a room doing nothing, right? Um, so I, I I hope it it has and it will. Um, there are some interesting things about, I and mean, we right, This is all about you know, like I don't know if, if you're like this, but. You know, the the more you live, the more humble you get because you just like I don't know, man. So, like, basically, in the UK, one of the big things that that I was, along with many other people, dealing with was this uh, evasion of race in not just politics and left politics, but also in you know IPE all that, right? That there is a very strong thing in the UK that class is the thing and that we define class either in opposition to or uh, uh, or uh, 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 superior to race, right? And so, so much of the political and intellectual debates are all, you know, about this, right? Class, you can talk about class, you can't talk about race. And I know this in the academia because in, in many ways, British academia is, far more, you know, what they call analytically white and, 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 and imperial than the US. You know, the, 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 the highest institutions and, and meeting places in, in, in especially English culture, uh, academic and otherwise, are invested in a purity, you know, due to the imperial project. Like, ah, all that shit, they did, well, yeah, but we abolished. No, no, but, oh, but, you know, enslaved as well. No, that was the colonies. The colonies enslaved, we abolished. Do you see what I mean? They do all that crazy stuff out there. It's, it's notable that the, the thing called post-colonial first comes in through in, through Commonwealth literature, right? In other words, well, you can talk about racing all that crazy shit out in the colonies, in the ex-colonies, in the post-colonies, but, but don't, you know, don't start hyphenating England and Britain, right? So there's this incredible purity at the heart of British Academy and the higher echelons, which just cannot conceive of um, of 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 it cannot conceive of its own analytical whiteness, right? And it also has a very distinct project to to pull up the drawbridges and preserve those spaces as the as the demographics radically change. Mm. Now in the UK, they kind of lost the battle. <laughs> you know what I mean? And even the reactions that you have at the moment in the present administration, you know, they are all rearguards. You know if you look at the demographic issue they're pro- they're conservatives in the best sense of the term like they know that they're losing that you know now we can say whether dem- demographics matter ethically or not, and I would hope we'd say you don't know, that they don't right but analytically they and in terms of power they do, and this is a rear guard action all the the worst stuff that is happening now is 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 explicitly. Enunciated as a rearguard. It's not about white supremacy taking over the world. It's about preserving a a space and drawing up the walls, right? Right. So, and and this is this is in many many places, right? So now, so this is not to in any for any moment diminish all the the kinds of crazy and terrible stuff that happens in the U.S. But it means that you know me coming here now, I have to be a little bit more humble about about my claims and about my argumentation, because race is very well known here. <laughs> the issue actually, you know, that a lot of politi- political economists would tell you, is, you know, how do we have a, a, a an analysis of race which is attuned to class? <laughs> Structural inequality? I mean, you know, you've got a, an intergenerational issue happening now with Bernie Sanders and all those supporters where, where that is shifting. But academically, you know, you know uh, you know i have good colleagues like lester spence is a, is a, is does political economy and 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 um is an americanist right does race and politics you know and and he'll he'll say to me you know quite often um you know a lot of a lot of um, afrikaner studies black studies is all cultural and no political economy you know we need to have a political economy right political economy requires class and remember i said there's a certain technical utility to class you know which is at the very least talking about structural inequality yeah right so (laughs) so now you know am i going to be the big dude coming oh no race matters he's like well no no shit sure (laughs) there's a certain humility which and i think that that and i think one of the things which is not just me one of the things which i think is important that is is not doing the keyword thing You know, which is very much a Facebook and a Twitter thing. You know, someone can talk about class and not mention race, but have a far more salient um, expression and analysis of race than someone who simply just talks about race all the time. I will hold to that one, man. Yeah. you have to take time with people's vocabulary with their registers with the formation of their arguments with the way in which their arguments are linked into other arguments themselves and others you have to take time right you can't just peruse the keywords yeah. doesn't work like that same with gender by the way
0: so uh, i'm neatly on then so i mean who, who are you reading now who's influencing you and and the way you think
1: now i don't really work like that i i um I kind of, I kind of pursue problems, and then I gather works which are dealing with those problems. It's probably not the best way to do it, to be honest, right? I mean, I have in my head, I have a canon, you know what I mean, which I have, you know, accumulated and cultivated over the years. But um, I'm not sure I would, and and also, you know, for me. The most important and interesting stuff is not necessarily driven academically, so these living knowledge traditions which you know don't aren't being written you know oftentimes they should be by the way right but yeah. but you know they're, they're not they're, they're not i mean i in in the number of things i've done recently um i I would say that there is a i've come to the conclusion that there is a, a drastic need for i p e people to read the whole works of Sylvia Winter. I mean, I could put it like that. So Sylvia Winter, very famous um, humanities scholars from Jamaica, um, famous for engaging with neurobiology, France Fanon, Foucault, linguistics, um, uh, uh, histories of um, Spanish empire in the Caribbean, Um but an extremely important thinker uh in terms of getting people to think more fluidly about how we would uh actually engage with the sciences as critical political economists. Sylvia winter is an excellent person very difficult to read but um but really, really germane to to thinking about you know we do need to to read the sciences actually. Um, And there are ways in which we can do that, which actually uh, enhance and solidify our kind of critical traditions rather than short circuit them. And and Sylvia Winter is an excellent body of work to to do that through.
0: So if you were giving advice to a new scholar, you know, like perhaps a PhD student or actually, I mean, here's an interesting one, because, you know, lots of people who have been, say, a PhD student will have been taught a particular way. And the way things are changing here now would, you know, maybe be doing their first bit of teaching themselves and really want to respond to the kind of decolonizing imperative and all that kind of stuff. You know, what sort of advice would you give someone like that?
1: Spend some time to figure out your commitments. What is it that you're committed to? Right. And there's always a politics to that. It doesn't mean to say that the politics is. You know, uh, uh, enacted or direct. You know that you, you know, you, you go on marches or anything like that. I don't. That I don't know about that. But you know, there is there there is a politics to commitment, right? And figure out what you're committed to, um, and and and, um, and and be be driven by that. Um, I think that's very important because, um, one can even imagine, you know. There's a certain in the the professionalization of academia. You, one needs to know the tools. And I think we're not doing service to to PhD and early career scholars if we're not teaching them the tools to use, right? However, the intellectual project and the commitments itself can't be can't come out of the professionalization, right? They have to come out of a much broader kind of sense about what you're what your life's worth is right um so so to be driven to be to be driven by that which over time always always show right um and to resist going against quick and easy trends if everybody in february thought i'm going to make a career out of coronavirus now it's all black lives matter what's it going to be next you know huge financial meltdown blah blah i mean you get what I'm saying right so commitments are are long-standing and they endure right um the second thing I think is 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 what we were talking about which is humility and um I struggle with that and and the the um part of the professionalization of the academy has been in some ways and I think this is far more true in the US but it's also true to, to, to lesser extent in the UK and other places is to maybe not France is to um, is to substitute um, the um, you know what Gramsci might have called the organic intellectual with the academic right <laughs> so the academics become the the, the the spokespeople you know of movements of politics in general right that's very dangerous it's very very dangerous and yet there is a systematic professional imperative for us or, or you know um dull impulse for us to actually be those people right that means that we can no longer be be humble and and we only learn with humility so i say this as a self-critique you know i've, I've constantly struggled with trying to do that right that i i there was um i remember one time we had um when I was in New Zealand we, we, we hosted the Oceanic Conference of International Studies in two thousand and ten and we had Anne Tickner as one of our big kind of um um keynotes, right? And Anne um you know, Anne was already kind of I think she was em- em- emeritus then or close to it, you know you know what I mean? Um but she was already made her name entirely, you know, the most, if not one of the most famous feminist international relations right she had rarely done anything on race and colonialism in her whole career she did a whole keynote on on race and colonialism and gender and i could have sat there and kind of thought yeah okay you didn't know that i could have done my ego thing right and have been like oh you know well yeah it's a little bit of a naive way of thinking about no do you know what i mean what a blessing that was to have someone of her standing come up and and say i missed this you know, I've been reading it. Here's here's what I think about it. Dude, <laughs> I could only aspire to that, right? And 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 I think that, you know, academics of all kind of levels, you know, we 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 really want to try and program in that humility, even if it's against the imperatives, because that's the only way in which you come across literatures, you know, thoughts, people's traditions It's the only way in which you suddenly find yourself to be extremely naive. And co- I thought this was so new. <laughs> you know I mean? uh, okay, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and, uh, but, but that's how the best work and the most enduring work is done.
0: Thanks for listening to Foundations in International Political Economy. We hope you'll check in with us again soon. You can subscribe to the podcast series on Apple Podcasts on google podcasts or on spotify or just go to the website www.ipefoundations.org.uk to find out more